0: Chapter 1, back in the day, um, my first year of summer of, in between my freshman and sophomore year of college, uh, I worked at Camp Manitoba. And one of the vibrant songs that I remember uh, that we were taught was by a woman by the name of Sue Krintz. And Sue Krintz uh, was the day camp coordinator. And Sue has like a really big personality, big personality, and she had a guitar. And we would every morning gather around in the day camp shelter, and we would She taught them a song called "King Jesus Is All," and when we would sing "King Jesus Is All," the goal was to be louder than the counselors. And uh, so Sue would say, sing something, then the kids would sing it back, and so it's kind of this echo back and forth. And the lyrics are: "King Jesus is all, King Jesus is all, my all and all, my all and all. I know He'll answer, I know He'll answer. Went walking by my side." I'm satisfied, I'm satisfied, King Jesus is all. So the kids would, the goal was to be louder than, um, than Sue. But the lyrics, not only was it fun, and it, it was a competition, but the lyrics are key. King Jesus is all. My all in all. I know he'll answer, I know he'll answer me when I call. Walking by my side. But King Jesus is all. This morning, as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at whether or not Jesus is truly King and whether or not he is our all in all. So, would you stand for the reading of God's holy word as we look at Ephesians 1? Our focus is going to be on verses 7 through 8, but we will read all of Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I have not, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers that the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he has worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him on the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age But also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, Paul takes in a great big breath and he breathes out one long run-on sentence. One long run-on sentence in the Greek. And this idea of this one long run-on sentence is that you... The church of God have been blessed with every single spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I don't want you to miss this, so I'm going to fill my lungs with all the air that I can, and I want you to hear in one long breath everything that you have in Christ Jesus. And you have it all. Before the foundations of the world, the church of God has been blessed By being chosen to be His. You are His. Soak that in. You are His. And because you are His, you have everything that you ever need. You have been blessed by being made blameless and holy in God's sight. In Christ Jesus, God blesses us by bringing us these broken, messed up, ragamuffin people, these vagabonds, into his family. And we are made into his family by the beautiful act of adoption. and We are now sons and daughters of God. And who is our brother? Christ Jesus. So now, God, the King of the universe, is our Father. And in today's passage, verses 7 through 8, we learn two more blessings in addition to the ones that we have found. Listen again to verses 3 to 8. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he has chosen us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He has predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Listen, in Him, in Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our our trespasses, our sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We have been blessed with redemption And forgiveness. The church of God is a redeemed and forgiven people. Paul's whole point in this this one breath, long run-on sentence is for us to actually contemplate, meditate, think hard about, let it infect our hearts about how blessed we truly are. I don't know about you, but it is easy 15 minutes after walking out of this place to forget about how blessed we are. The circumstances of our life very quickly become more dominant and right here in front of us. Is that not true? Or am I the only one? I walk out and I go, okay, now so now back to reality. Okay, I got work tomorrow. I've got a a spouse i got children i got a job i've got bills i've got this reality i've got dreams i got hopes i want these desires all these things kind of bombard me very quickly and i forget that i have already every single blessing in christ i am richly blessed as a son of the king of the universe and i forget that And when we see and contemplate and remember these lavish blessings, there ought to be a stirring in our heart to the praise of his glorious grace. In light of of all God is for us in Christ Jesus, we should be a people who are awestruck. Awestruck and overwhelmed by his amazing grace towards us we should be set back on our heels going you've got to be kidding me you've got to be kidding me he has done what for me every morning his mercies are new and i just go you've got to be kidding me i am awestruck by what god has done for me he did what we shouldn't be going i know and i'm not surprised look at me should be awestruck just baffled that god in christ has adopted me If, if we're honest we don't always feel that way right we we struggle to feel blessed by god we we struggle to feel the desire to really worship him with our all In regards to God's grace towards us we're thankful right we're we're glad that there's not this amazement or astonishment at what Jesus has done for us and we've got to ask ourselves why is that why am I not awestruck why am I not astonished why am I not amazed why am, I not, why am I not blown away? Why am I, I not thrown to my knees in worship? Why am not, I not fill in the blank? What is going on in the heart of Paul that I am not amazed? I think the main reason why this is is because we do not understand the depth of our sin. We haven't truly realized the extent of our rebellion and our deadness that we were when God called us and raised us to life. We we don't think that we're that sinful. We don't think of ourselves, and we don't think that "I'm, I'm really not that bad in comparison to the people around me. Have you seen them? Have you watched the news? Do you know my neighbors? Do you know my family? I am not that bad. Sure, we've got some flaws, right? That's kind of the word. I've got personality quirks. I've got flaws. And I've got some sin issues like everybody else. But there are plenty of people who are worse than me. So relatively speaking, we're really pretty good people. So when we hear that we have been redeemed and we have been forgiven, we go, okay. Thanks, God. I kind of needed that merit badge. But there's no amazement or astonishment. And Jesus said, if you have been forgiven much, you will love much, right? You will only be able to worship to the extent when when you realize how much you have been forgiven we don't think that we've been we don't think that we've been forgiven all that much so our worship is really kind of small so understanding our sinfulness is really the key to this whole thing we don't feel that we're all that bad but we don't measure how sinful <laughs> We are simply by how we feel. Often our feelings, we think, uh, that's one of the, the words I almost want to banish from our Christian lexicon. I feel this way. I feel this way. Have you ever read Jeremiah 17? The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? So, if you're basing it I don't feel, then we've got to really, really look and say, oh, let's, let's look at your heart. Our hearts lie to us. Therefore, we have to measure the depth of our sinfulness by not what our hearts feel, but by what the Bible actually says about us. So, Paul tells us that we are so sinful, so sinful. That we need redemption. The Greek word for redemption it means to ransom somebody. To ransom some, somebody. So the only time you are ever in a position where you need to be to have a ransom paid for, have you ever heard of those pirates that are out there who, who steal a whole boat and a whole people and they require what? Some kind of ransom. Piracy still happens in our day and age. And they take people captive. And the only way that they can get away is by paying a ransom. Companies today actually have piracy insurance plans. If you are out there in the ocean and you are bringing your goods from one place to the other, they have piracy insurance plans because a price has to be paid to get back their people and their goods. And Paul is saying, when it comes to our sin, we need redemption, which means sin has held us captive. Sin has held us captive in bondage, in slavery. It refuses to let us go until a price is paid. And the Bible often uses this language of slavery to help us understand what we're talking about when it comes to the depth of our sinfulness. But today, we, use, we can use this same language when it comes to addiction. The idea of slavery in our day and age is kind of a, a foreign idea. We don't, we don't feel it as much. We don't understand it, but we... We can maybe understand it better if we talk about this language of addiction to communicate kind of the same concepts. Addiction and slavery slavery have a parallel to each other. Addiction is not just when you have a problem. It's not just a problem that you have, but it's when the problem has you. It grabs you by the throat and says, you are mine and i am controlling you you are not going anywhere you are in chains you are in bondage and you are mine it's not just just drinking here or looking at a little bit of pornography when your wife is out of town addiction is when the drinking or the pornography has you at the throat and says mine you aren't going anywhere you can't do anything about it and when it comes to the depths of our sinfulness before Christ Jesus. Before God had saved us, the Bible is saying sin isn't just something that you had. It wasn't just like a common cold. Sin was something that had you. It had you by the throat. And it says you are my sin wasn't just something that you did every now and again and needed a little bit of therapy and a little bit of help a little bit of self-improvement no it was something that held you in captivity refusing to let you go you had no control over it and it had control over you. If sin was just something that you had, then you could just get rid of it with enough remorse. I feel bad about this. You could get rid of it by just blaming other people for your badness, your sin. You could maybe kind of get over it just with a little bit of behavior modification. However, sin was not just something that you had. It had us and it refuses to let us go until a price is paid for it some of you can even feel it right now the old master is still pulling beckoning calling whispering and demanding that you bow down again to it obey it give in come on remember the sweet days come on come on back Give in. You realize, you, you, telling yourself that you're not that bad is a way that you found yourself dealing with it. With how truly bad you really were. And the crushing guilt starts to set in if we, if we stop telling ourselves that we're not that bad. But because we have been created in God's image, when we sin, Whether we admit it or not, deep inside of us, we know that this is not the way to live. And some of you, I I want you to do do a a hard stop right now. Because maybe you're thinking about somebody else here and going, I hope they hear this message. Or why did I not invite so-and-so? Because they really need to hear this one. I want you to personally apply it right now. And for some of you, it might even be before we come to communion, I I say, hey, stop, contemplate, meditate. Is there sin that repetitively has dominion over your life? You constantly are finding yourself in this area. The old master is calling and saying, stay here. Sweet. That's the sin we're talking about right now. That is a thing that you need to be concentrating in this moment. Here are some ways that we we try to deal with the guilt of that sin and see if it applies to you. You deny it altogether. You deny it altogether saying there's no such thing as sin. This really isn't a sin in the first place. This really is, there's no such thing. Or maybe you do this. You blame somebody else for this sin because it it really is their their fault. Kind of a little bit of blame shifting. We're pretty good about that, right? I'm rubber. You're glue. Whatever you say or do bounces off me and sticks to you. It's It's not my issue. I'm not in sin. No, no, no. It's your fault. Or maybe... You can excuse it. Maybe there's some extenuating circumstances. You don't realize what I've gone through. So there's kind of some excuse. Or maybe I'm lonely, or I, I need this, or I feel this, or I'm called to this, so I'm going to do this. And th- But you, do you understand by circumstances right now, it, it's an excuse to get away with stuff. Or maybe you can diminish it. Saying that it's not that big of a deal. It's not hurting anybody. And people have, the reality is people have done far worse. So we diminish sin. Or maybe this is another way you you deal with it. You can hide it. And we hide it hoping that nobody ever, ever notices it. And you just pray to God, I don't want to get caught. Or maybe is another way of dealing with your sin. You you punish yourself. You feel really bad for it. And you pay your own penance. The guilt. You heap guilt upon yourself. Or maybe you you try to earn yourself out of it. You do a bunch of really good things hoping to pay God back for the things that you've done. Listen, God, here's the deal. I'm so sorry. I will do this. I will do that. I'll, I'll, I'll do all these great things for you. But it's exhausting. All these things are exhausting. You're trying to hide it. You're diminishing the excuse making. All these things, your extra, extra work, it is exhausting. And we've all, in one time or another, tried to do these things. And it's exhausting because we are trying to be our own redeemer and pay our own ransom. And sin says, not good enough. Flawed broken ephesians 1 17 7 says in him we have redemption through his blood in who him we have redemption in christ not in us there is redemption redemption is not possible in you covering it up or in blaming others or trying to get better the next time In fact, redemption can't be found in you at all. Not in you at all. Redemption can only be found in Christ Jesus through His blood in what He has done. Jesus' blood, Jesus' life was the ransom paid for your redemption. Nothing less than the blood of Jesus will set the captives free. So how do we deal with the depths of our sinfulness? Well, in all kinds of ways that at the end of the day will fail us and exhaust us because we're making ourselves out to be the Redeemer. There's, there is another way, us. And the Bible tells us it's this way. You're forgiven. In him we have redemption through his blood, which is what? The forgiveness of our trespasses. Forgiveness is another way that we can realize the depth of our our sinfulness. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great British pastor and theologian, once said that the problem of forgiveness was the greatest problem that God ever faced. And Think about it. Think of some of the greatest problems that God faced in human history. There was darkness, so what did God do? He spoke and there was light. Simple solution. Spoke, boom. There it is. And, There were no plants and there was no vegetation. And God simply dealt with it by saying, let the earth sprout with vegetation. May these people have pico de gallo. May they have pesto and veggies to their delight. And he spoke and it was. There were no animals on this earth. And God dealt it dealt with it simply by saying let the earth bring forth every kind of pet and animal on this earth every kind and it was so loneliness to to adam adam was all alone and what did god do he goes hey no problem i'm going to put you to sleep i'm going to solve your loneliness by doing what taking out a rib closing up the flesh and out of that, I am going to create woman. And what did he do? He did it. God simply did it. With all of these problems that God faced, all he did was speak or do a little action. Yet when it came to the problem of our sin, he couldn't just say, let there be forgiveness. And it was. No, you see, the problem was far too great. The sin, the depth of sin ran way too deep. So God had to do the unthinkable, the unimaginable, and he had to tell his own son that the problem was so big that the ransom had to be so great that he had to go to the cross and die. There was no other way the cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus, was the only possible solution. It shows the depth of our problem. God doesn't just speak, and it was. No, he had to send his only son into our world to live the perfect life that we were called to live in the first place and die the death that we so deserved so that we can have life. It was because of our brokenness, our sinfulness, that Christ came. It shows the greatness of the solution. The greatness of the solution shows the greatness of the problem. So both our need for redemption and forgiveness serve to show the depth of our sinfulness. But when you see the lengths to which God goes how jesus had to voluntarily voluntarily be tormented and killed all because sin was so great of a problem that it couldn't be just solved with a let it be we might we might ask why god even went through it all why didn't god just go let's start from scratch. It's good for us to be, for for us, and we benefit from it. But why did, he, why did he do it? It cost him so much. Back to Ephesians one seven. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? The riches of his grace. God went through all of this because of the riches of His grace. Because of the riches of His holiness, God demanded a payment for sin. But because of the richness of His grace, He Himself provided the payment for sin that my friends is good news that is great news he he demanded a payment one that you and i could never pay no one in this world could ever pay that price but god out of the riches of his grace out of his storehouse of grace which never is depleted he said i've got the payment for you and I am providing it through my Son. The greatest problem of our sin brought, God, brought to God was answering how does the riches of His holiness coexist with the riches of His grace? How could it? How could God both demand a payment for sin because He is holy, and yet provide forgiveness of sin because He is so gracious? How could He do this? Let's read our text again. 7 through 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin for our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. How? In all wisdom and insight. God planned a way determining the most wise most insightful and most productive way in which the holiness of God would not consume the sinfulness of his people. He planned a way in which he could offer forgiveness, salvation, and redemption to us in the most wise and insightful way possible. He made it the way to the cross. When we look at the cross, We should see God's wisdom. And we should see His insight. There is no better way than the cross in which we receive redemption and forgiveness. So when you start feeling like to earn God's favor, you have got to work harder, do more, be better. You've got to say, there's a better way. There is a better way than me working harder. The better way is submitting myself to God and saying, You have provided a way. Here I am. Take all of me. It's important for us to know that forgiveness and redemption are two different things, but they're inseparable. In God's wisdom and in God's insight, he saw that we needed both in order to be saved. And Paul puts them right next to each other, right? In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, all in one breath, all in one great big long sentence. And yet, in the depth of our sinfulness, we desperately need to separate the two of them. We need forgiveness. And we want forgiveness, but not the redemption you you have sin in your life that's making you miserable anybody you got sin in your life that's making you you miserable and you're going man this really sucks this is really painful this is impairing this is hurting my relationships. all these things are affecting me but you're you're trying to find ways to deal with the guilt and, and it's exhausting you hear that god offers forgiveness for that sin and you say i want it i'm all in Forgiveness means that there's this lifting of guilt. You don't have to feel bad anymore. Redemption, though, friends, means that the ransom is paid for you. It's buying you out of the slavery of sin. But if you are bought, that means that you no longer belong to yourself. You don't belong to you. A price has been paid for you. In 1 Corinthians 6, it states that we have been bought with a price and we are not our own heidelberg catechism in the reformed tradition it states it beautifully in its first question and answer what is your only comfort in life and in death it says this that i am not my own but i belong body my physical touching body I belong body and soul. Both in life and in death. To my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has faithfully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And he has set me free from all the power of the... That right there. He has set me free from all the power of the devil. And he also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father not a single hair falls from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily, I love this, heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. If I were... To say to God, say, say God was offering you forgiveness no matter what you have done. No matter what you have done. Heart leap? Is there a thank you, Jesus? Thank God. It makes me excited and glad. But if I tell you that at the cross God bought you and now He owns you, how do you feel? Is there a little pushback where you go, "Eh, hands off? Hands off there. Many of us, many of us want forgiveness, but we don't want, really, we really don't want redemption. You you want to be freed from the guilt of sin, but you don't want to be told what to do. "Uh Uh-uh, I'm free! Don't, you, don't, don't go meddling in my life now God really that's how many of us feel if we're, if we're really honest you don't like the idea of being owned but you want your sins to be forgiven you want to go to heaven but you want to stay in control of your life I am my own I belong to myself body and soul because really Jesus freed me and I belong to me now I am the best captain of my life. So here's the reality: either Jesus is king, or he isn't. King Jesus is all my all. And all. really, you, do you believe it? Either he is or he isn't. Either Jesus is king and has authority over over uh, authority to forgive you, and but then he has the authority to tell you what to do, telling you to bow down, demanding everything from you. Or he is not king and doesn't have the authority to give you your life the way that you want it. Quit wasting your time here. Either either way, you can't just pick and choose what he is. Either he is king or he isn't king. Make a decision. We see in the Old Testament that the Israelites were found in bondage in Egypt land. Way down in Egypt land, right? Tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. And oftentimes, the Old Testament is a picture, a physical picture of our spiritual reality. God was delivering the Israelites out of their physical slavery, showing us what our spiritual slavery is like. And he is delivering us out of Egypt land. God sent Moses to set them free from the tyranny of of this slave master. And we, we all know the famous quote Moses told Pharaoh. He said, Let my people go. Let them go. But that's not all that he said. That's not all that he said. If you're really biblical, you should know what else he said. God commanded Moses to say, Let my people go so that they may serve and worship me. So it's not just, let them go. Give them a free life now. They can restart everything, they kind of hit a reset button, and they, they can do it, they get a free, fresh, fresh slate, everything's clean, hunky-dory. No, let my people go so that they may serve and worship me. God wasn't saying just, just go and do whatever you want to do now, even though that's what we desperately want, right? And that is often the modern view of salvation, The modern view of freedom is is not to have any Lord at all. No master. Choosing whatever you want, being your own boss, and doing whatever pleases you. That is our modern view of salvation. God doesn't want you to be free, but not just so that you can no longer have to obey the slave masters in Egypt, but so that you can obey and worship him something that's not really good news at all. Trading one master for another master. But sin, no longer being your master, and now God being your master makes all the difference in the world. We sing a song by Chris Tomlin saying, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. You are good. And I'm loved by you. I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God to a good, good father. He, God, our Lord, our master, is a good master. If God rescued Egypt, Israel out of Egypt and then turned them over to themselves, He wouldn't have rescued them at all. He would have just replaced one terrible master for another terrible master. You doing what you want, obeying only yourself for the rest of your life, would only end up in a horrific life. Do you want to live in a world where you are king? Answer that question right now. Do you want to live in a world where you are king? Be honest. Do you Do you? You are a terrible master. You are terrible. That's a terrible world. And that's not the kind of salvation that God wants for you. He doesn't want you to be the master. He doesn't want you to be the lord of your life. You suck at it. It's true. You are awful. Forgiveness without redemption is no salvation at all, friends. We we can't have the freedom of forgiveness without giving the worship that redemption demands. It's not just let my people go so they can be their own Lord and Master. It is let my people go so that they may give their lives to worship and serving me. For I am a good, good father. Father. I I love you. I give you every spiritual blessing that you will ever need. I'm not going to give you a snake or a stone. No, I am going to give you my son. And I'm going to give you life. Not just life. Hold on a second. Life isn't enough. I'm going to give you life abundantly. The kind that you tap down and it still overflows. It it is rich and it is abundant. And you know what? It's not only for this life now. (laughs) The life that I'm giving you goes on and on and on and on and on. Ad infinitum for eternity. Why is the Bible so bent on showing us the depth of our sinfulness? Why does it talk so much about sin? Why, do we have, why does Paul preach Sunday after Sunday about the problem of sin? Well, do you remember the day when you first met Jesus? All of a sudden, all the bells and whistles, the lights kind of came on for you. Even if you've been raised in a Christian family, all of a sudden you realize, jesus i get it there was some sense of your sinfulness and your need for him and the cross you had a sense enough that maybe you cried out ask him lord save me save me our wishful thinking at that time was that we would grow in christ learning to love Him in a way that we would sin less and less and less, so that we would feel better about our sinfulness. Yet, that's not what the gospel commands of us. The cross isn't demanding that we glance quickly at it on the day of our salvation and say, oh, Jesus, yeah, woo, thank you for saving me, and get on with life. That's not how This life is meant to be lived. The cross is demanding that we survey the cross. That we ponder and meditate upon the cross, friends. That we serve every square inch of the cross. And then we see the very depth of our sinfulness by seeing the solution that we needed to deliver and forgive us from our sins. The cross today, friends, for those of you who are in Christ, is as crucial as your day one. The cross of Christ is critical every day. And many of us want to skip the crucifixion and go right to the resurrection. But we have have to first be condemned by the cross before we are saved by the cross. There was a necessity for the cross and my problem necessitated that cross. And I need to be condemned by that cross before I can be saved by that cross. There is no resurrection. There is no new life. No coming up out of the grave until there is a crucifixion. There is no resurrected life apart from the crucified life. If you're looking at the cross long enough, you see the paradox set in your life. As you walk with Jesus for some period of life, you begin to see Him change you. You will sin less, but you'll feel like a, more of a sinner than ever before because you see how perfect Jesus really is. Friends, it's true. If you have been walking in this life for some period of time, you should be struck more and more each day how sinful you are and how glorious His grace is. If you are going, man, I I, I took my pill on my salvation day, and I'm fixed. It's all good. It's wonderful. But you are not seeing His holiness and His beauty. And you're not seeing it more and more profoundly and more brightly as you go through this life. Friends, you need to re-examine the power of the cross and the magnitude of your sin. In light of Jesus, you need to realize that you, you're a greater sinner than you ever thought. But you will see Jesus is a greater Savior than you ever, redeemed, ever dreamed. We don't know the depth of our sinfulness. We, we really don't. We think we've got a good grasp on what my problems are. We don't. But he knew. God knows the depth of your sinfulness, and yet he still went to the cross for us. You'll never see him to be a great savior if you don't see yourself to be a great sinner. So let's make our goal and our application this week and beyond to look, at, look to the cross. Look to the cross. Look to the cross of Christ and walk with Jesus in such a way that 10 years from this day, 10 years from now, we will have a greater sense of our sinfulness than we do today. A greater sense of how broken I am. And then on our dying day, we will have the greatest sense of our sinfulness but we'll also have the greatest sense of Jesus and of God's glorious grace. Amen? Let's pray. God, as we come to the Lord's Supper, I pray that our hearts will begin to grapple with the depth of our sinfulness, but also, Lord, that we will begin to understand the depths of the riches of your grace. We thank you for your redemption, that you have paid a price for men and women and children just like us. That in it you have set us free. Set us free from the tyranny of the devil. The chains of sin. The power of addiction. The lies of the devil. And you have brought us into your family. Where there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord may we submit our lives to your gracious, loving, merciful rule and reign. Make us holy. This we pray, in the name of Jesus, the one who has saved us, and all God's people said, Amen.